Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Well, good morning. How are y'all feeling this morning? I'm saying that reflexively because I just want to let you know how I'm feeling, <laughs> which is not very good. But I have Kleenexes, I have water. Hopefully I don't have to use either of those. If you see me run off stage quickly, you can just fill in the blanks there. Um, but we're going to get through this today. So we are in week five of Ephesians. We've kind of been walking through the letter of Ephesians a little bit slowly together. Uh, and it kind of just struck me this week that there's been a pattern kind of that we've been following, at least in, our, in the messages that I've been sharing with you. But maybe you've picked up on it in the reading as you've been reading along. But as, as Paul kind of conveys the message that he's trying to convey. He kind of follows similar patterns, and it usually goes something like this, right? Before Christ, before something happened, before God came in, this is the way that it was. This is the way that you acted. This was your situation. Before this was the reality, but God, right? There's usually this moment where he turns the corner and says, but then God came in, then Jesus came, and that changed something, and then he kind of resolves his point with this great phrase, right, therefore. So you used to be this way before, but God, and then therefore we should act in a different way. We should do something differently. We should live our lives this way, right? We've talked about this uh, in, kind of in many of our messages, right? But before you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God made you alive in Jesus, therefore we have something to do. Two weeks ago we talked about how you were before cut off, but God brought you near and so now we can live at peace. Just last week we looked at since we've been unified and since we've been given this grace, therefore we ought to pursue maturity in Jesus together. And so I just kind of noticed this pattern, especially as I was developing the message for this morning, is that it kind of falls in line with that. There's a before, there's a God entrance, and then there's a therefore, this is then how we should live. So we're going to check that out together. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to follow along, I'd encourage you just to slip up your hands our ushers have Bibles in the back. They'd love to give you one. You're welcome to borrow it for uh, the service. If you don't own a Bible, please just keep this. It's uh, our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word in your life. We're going to be on page 550 uh, in, if you're using one of the Worship Center Bibles. It's Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Maybe you're following along uh, in your own Bible there. Uh, but that's where we're going to be going here in just a minute. So you might want to turn to there and uh, maybe keep a, a hand there as we walk through this a little bit. Remember, we're at the point in Ephesians where we're moving from doctrine, where we're moving from talking about beliefs and the things that Jesus did and who he is into our practical actions. So in light of who God is, how then ought we to live from right beliefs to how those right beliefs lead us to right actions, the things that we therefore ought to do is kind of the second half of this letter. Last week we talked about how since we're unified and united and at peace with God, he gives us gifts and how we have primary and secondary gifts in the spirit that God has given to us. And the goal for those is maturity within Christ's body, maturity in the church of which Christ is the head. We've talked about these metaphors throughout Ephesians, how, there is a, how the church is a body and how it's a building and how it's a bride. And so last week we talked about being the body 
of Christ. So we've been called to be mature pieces of Christ's body. And to do this, we have to fully understand what life is given to us in Christ, what it means to be a part of this new creation, to step out from a former way of understanding and into a new life of truth and grace. And so now Paul has given us the right beliefs, and it's time for our right actions, for our conduct to match. And that's what Paul's going to do here. Uh, And he's going to use that similar process, right, of before and but now and therefore. Let's start with the before. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, and uh, we're going to kind of start from the middle of this passage and then let it bloom for us. So Ephesians 4, 22, here's the before. You were taught, notice the past tense, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. All right, let's break down some terms in here. We've got the old self, right? Your former way of life. You can read this that before you had Jesus, before you came to faith in Christ, the way that you used to live your life. Now, if you were in Ephesus, if you were actually alive at the time and Paul was directly writing this letter to you, that might mean some things. That may mean literally that your week, your habits, your actions were spent offering sacrifices to other gods. Remember there was the temple to Diana or Artemis, and if you were not following Jesus, chances are that that would have been a major part of your old life before Christ. That would have been what your week looked like. You would have attended sacrifices and celebrations. You would have hung out with people who did the same thing. And so if you're in Ephesus receiving this letter, there was a very, very practical nature to what Paul is saying. Remember, there was a way in which you used to live before Jesus. Remember those actions. Remember those things. And remember, you were taught. In other words, I told you when I was there not to do that any longer, right? Because he says, when uh, he says, you were taught. Now again, as we go back through our history here, right, Paul actually spent three years with the church in Ephesus. So when he says, you were taught, he like literally means like, I remember, right? I was there. I told you this. We had this conversation. You were told not to live in this way. Let's translate it, though, to us today. How were we taught and how were we told? Thankfully, Paul, in the verses before this, actually, uh, tells us a little bit about what those characteristics are. So let's jump back to verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. If you write in your Bible, this is like a double underline, right? Paul's like saying, I insist this in the Lord. This is like not optional that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Remember, Gentiles are just people who don't follow Jesus. These are just, it's code word for everybody else, people who are not following Jesus. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul's not very happy with those people, is he? <laughs> Doesn't make you feel all warm and fluffy inside, but Paul says, here's the deal, right? We, we know that people are separated from God, that it affects everything about their demeanor. Notice the language that he uses, that they're darkened in their understanding, as opposed to being enlightened in the way in which we follow Jesus. And so he says, this is just kind of the natural order of things. When people are separated from Christ, when they don't live in proximity to him, our thinking becomes futile. 
Why does our thinking become futile? Because we're not thinking about eternal purposes. We're not thinking about the ways in which God might want to use us in this world. We're not thinking about putting other people first and before ourselves. We're looking out for number one, right? We're following through just what we see everybody else living out for us. All that we care about is things that make us happy, things that make us comfortable. This is what we spend our time, our energy, and our pursuits doing. And so I don't think that Paul is really trying to come down on these people, trying to come down on our friends and neighbors who may not believe the way that, that we do. He's just trying to say, look, when you're separated from God, that means that your, your thinking is just darkened because you don't have the light, which means that it's just futility that we're really searching after. Without eternity, without Christ, without something greater than ourselves to give ourselves to, what else is there but futile thinking, right? Similarly, that means that you have a hardened heart because we turn away from the things that God has for us. We simply kind of shut off that valve. Maybe we grow up and we treat God like a fairy tale, like he's just something that I used to believe in, but then I grew up out of it. Their hearts become hard as they turn away. And then again, what's left with no God? They give themselves over to sensuality, every kind of impurity and greed, because what else is there really to devote? your life to at that stage. Without God, Paul says, there's just not much hope in there. This is why it was the former way. This is why you were taught to put off the old self. Because it's futile in its application. There's nothing redeemable about it for the child of God. So Paul kind of directs us then to us 2,000 years later to kind of look at this and go, so where is the old self for us? If we can identify for these people and if we can read in between the lines there of the scripture, what are those things that make up our life before Christ and perhaps after Christ? What is it about ourselves that we can say this was the former way in which you used to live? Maybe you can go back and recall that time that before Christ you lived in a certain way, that you had certain thoughts, ideas, and attitudes, that you had things that took up your time or maybe consumed your mind. But after you became a Christian, after you trusted Christ with your life, it, it changed subtly the things that you do. It changed the things that you enjoy. It changes the way that you spend your free time, the way that you engage and interact with other people. What does it mean for you to put off your old self? Because Paul says that you were taught this when you came to the gospel. Which leaves us with one small problem, right? Paul is saying this to people that he told the gospel to, and he says, I told you, therefore, to put off the old self. There is a possibility that maybe you're in this room, and when you heard the gospel, when you came to faith in Christ, that there wasn't really an emphasis put on the fact that God wants to, to change you. Uh, too often, we kind of promote Christ as like this addition to your life, like, hey, for $29.95, you can have this great thing, and it's going to make everything better. Sign the dotted line. And the problem is that that gospel leaves out some major pieces. It leaves out the pieces of this old self and taking our old self off and putting on something different. So while Paul can say with authority to the Ephesians, hey, you were taught this to put off the old self, we may be having a conversation today in which you weren't taught that. Maybe you didn't hear that piece of the gospel that when you came to Jesus that something has to change that there's an old part of you, that there's an old way of living that is futile in its thinking, that is pursuing things that are not in line with God, that needs to be cast away so that you can pursue God fully. 
Maybe instead of a statement for us today, this is actually a question. Were you taught when you came to Christ, when you came to the gospel, that there was an old way of life that had to stop? That there was old patterns and thoughts and actions that needed to cease in order for you to receive the full blessing of Jesus? Because chances are, if you accepted a gospel that didn't change anything about your life, then you didn't accept the gospel. Because the gospel comes with power and it comes to change and it comes to make dead things alive. It comes to change our former ways into new ways. It comes to take off an old way of living and to put on a new way of life as we'll find out. When you received the gospel, were you taught this? If not, let today be the day that you know that following Christ demands a change. It demands that there's an old way of life that gets left behind. Now, we don't mean relationships, right? We don't mean your job necessarily. We don't mean all of these kinds of things, but we definitely know that there are patterns and habits that need to change as we follow Christ. And before we go too much further, let me just stop here and say, not only did that need to happen when you accepted Christ, but as you grow and pursue in Christ, there should be continual things within your life that have to come under his lordship. So when I ask you about the things that you had to put off from your former way of life, and you go back to like 20 years ago in youth group when you got saved, and you like threw away your parental advisory CDs, right? Like your faith may need an update, right? Because there should be continual ways in which we find ourselves coming more and more into the fullness of Jesus and where he continues to reveal things to us that we go, oh man, I have to deal with that. That has to change. I can't live that way. I can't pursue those things without fully following Christ, without changing the way in which I ought to live. This is what Christ reveals to us. Let's continue on here. Verse uh, 20. So that old way of thinking, Paul says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off those selfish desires, which being corrupted, uh, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your Minds. So Paul says, put off, the, put off the old self. We've got to step away from old patterns and thought habits. And then we've got to put in new habits, new sustainable practices, new ways of thinking that actually enable us and equip us to live our life in accordance with God's truth for us. To achieve all that he wants us to achieve, to receive the blessings that he has from us, there has to be a change in our mind, a change in our thinking. Stop, put off the old self, and then renew your mind. This is the uh, changing of our thinking from that darkened thinking to enlightened thinking. The actual word here is the spirit of the mind. So it addresses kind of that soul component, this peace within us that makes us us. And as we go throughout our walk with Christ, we continually have to be renewing our minds, bringing it alongside within Christ. This is the concept of John's baptism. You remember he comes before Jesus and he baptizes people for repentance and for the remission of sin. And so people would come and they would get baptized saying, I need to put off my old self and I need to renew my mind to get right with God. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Romans 12, 1 says, be transformed by the renewing of 
your mind. Paul says it a different way. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, hey, think about godly things, things that are true and right and noble and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy. If anything is excellent, then think about those things. The concept is that we have to change our thought process from our old way, our former ways, and reset our actions on Christ. How often do you think you need to do that? Like once and then you're good? Is that pretty much what it takes, right? Like that one time 20 years ago, then we just sail on from there? This is a daily habit, right? It's a regular occurrence. It might be an hourly habit for you. It might be a minute-by-minute habit for you. I don't know, but whatever it takes, there's this process by which we go, I want more of godly thinking in my life. I want more of God's Spirit. And as often as you need to, to check yourself, to put yourself in front of God's grace, that's how often you need to do it. This is why Scripture reading is so important. Uh, Research has shown, and we talk about it constantly, that this is the most fundamental and foundational piece of spiritual growth that you can put in your life. Getting into God's Word on a daily basis. Why? Because it renews your mind. It gives you godly thoughts to think about so that as you go throughout your day, as you encounter people at work and your neighbors and family and all the other stuff, that you at least have a kernel of truth that you can marinate on, that you can think about, that you can hold true, that you can renew your mind as you go. If Bible reading isn't a part of your daily habit, habit, it's hard to grow. It's hard to have that opportunity to renew your minds, and I would strongly encourage you to put that into place. So you've cleaned yourself up, right? This is what, uh, what I want to talk about now. So the, the, the Scripture here actually is a bit of a, is a, is a, bit of a misterm, right? So that old self, uh, the term actually refers to clothing. So it's like, take off your old clothes And the the picture here is simply this, right? In the New Testament times, clothes didn't work the way that your and my clothes do, right? Most of us change our clothes daily, right? Everybody said amen, right? Most of us change our clothes daily. If you're sitting next to someone who didn't, you'll know it, right? But no. So most of us change our clothes daily. And within that process, right, we wash our clothes and we put them away and clothes tend to last a really long time. Chances are that for the people who are reading and writing this, uh, that that they didn't have a change, right? They didn't travel with a wardrobe right? There wasn't a whole lot going on here. They had what they wore, and then when they went down to the river, they took a bath, and they washed what they were wearing, and then they just kind of kept going. When there was a hole, they would patch it, which is why Jesus says, you know what happens when you patch an old garment with a new patch, right? It tears away from it. Same thing is happening. So you probably had one set of clothes that you just wore to smithereens until it was holy and ratty and no longer worked for clothing, And so when Paul says, take off your old self, take off your old clothing, he's referring to a thought pattern, to a process, to a piece of clothing that no longer functions in the way in which it was was meant to. He says, take off your old thinking, just like you would take off and discard old clothes that no longer work. Just as you would get rid of something that that no longer is fulfilling its function, so you should get rid of your old self. Because in Jesus, that line of thought, that way of thinking, that line of living won't get you to where God is. So he says, take off the old self. Take off those old clothes that are ratty and tattered. They have holes in them and they no longer work for clothing. And then he says, instead, renew your mind. In other words, uh, take a bath. 
right? This is like the, the translation of it. So you've got old ready clothes. Take off those clothes. Take a bath. Get cleansed. Find yourself in right relationship with God, and then you can move yourself forward, not by putting on the same old ready clothes, but by putting on new clothes, putting on something different than what you had before. All right, so school just started, right? Uh, my kids obliterate shoes. Anybody else's kids obliterate shoes? Like constantly buying shoes. So in the summer, we go buy some shoes, right? They each get two pairs of shoes, one to finish out the summer because the others won't make it, and one pair of school shoes, right? Everybody has school shoes around? So here's the deal with the school shoes, right? You don't get to wear your school shoes until school starts, because if you wear your school shoes in the summer, you're going to use them for brakes on your scooters, right? And they become a wedge in like two weeks, and they get obliterated again. The shoes are for school. And so when we take them school shopping, we go, hey, you get a pair of shoes, you're going to finish obliterating those this summer, that's great. And when school comes along, these shoes have a new purpose. In other words, you don't buy new shoes and let them continue in the same habits that they're doing. That's how they got destroyed in the first place. Same thing with what God is giving to us. You don't take your newly renewed mind and put them in your old way of thinking. That won't work. You're gonna, it's going to get all dirty and ratty and tattered. Again, instead, you need a new thought process. You need new clothes to be able to follow God in that way. Because foreshadowing, right, that's the therefore of these verses. Let's put them all together now. Uh, Ephesians 5, through 24. Past tense, you were taught, right? I told you with regard to your former way of life before Christ to put off your old self, to take off your old clothes, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, read new clothing, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So put on new clothes over this renewed mind so that you'll be like God. Man, in righteousness and holiness. Those are some sparkly shoes. Let me tell you, right? Y'all with me this morning? I'm sick in doing this. Y'all got to at least laugh to keep me awake up here. Uh, we can't experience Christ and live life the same way. There must be a renewing and a new direction for life. Maybe you want to think of this like a uniform, right? When you, get, uh, when you join the military, you receive a uniform, and there are actions that are appropriate within a uniform, and there are actions that are inappropriate when you're wearing the uniform. When we join Christ, there are new thought process, new clothings that we get to belong to, except that they're always on. There's a new conduct of character. There's a new state of limitations. There's a new opportunity to live ourselves fully in Christ. So what are the characteristics of this new line of thought? How do we know if we have it? What's the difference between those old darkened thoughts and our new thoughts? Paul's going to go through like a bullet point list here, and we're just going to add those to our thinking. What does the new self look like? What are the characteristics of some of these new clothings? Here we go, verse 25. Therefore, right, that's what we talked about before. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. These are the habits, the patterns, the thought processes of the new self. Let's walk through these just real briefly. Number one, speak truthfully. Don't be false. Don't be false in your home. Don't be false in your relationships. Don't be false with your kids. Don't be false with your neighbor. Don't be false in your sales pitch. Let it be known that you are a truthful person. Notice that he clarifies that this isn't just for church. This isn't just when we show up on Sunday. It's for your neighbors. The code word neighbors means everybody everywhere, not just people who believe like we believe. So when somebody lies to you, when somebody treats you falsely, when you catch somebody being dishonest with you, how do you react? Do you still behave honestly and truthfully with that individual, or do you maybe just behave the way that they behaved? What would it look like for you to be characterized with your friends, with your coworkers, and whatever spheres that you find yourself in with, man, that guy, that gal, whoever they are, they always are truthful. You always know where you stand with them. I've never heard them speak something false about me or about anybody else. We're not talking about your natural tendencies. We're not talking about how you behave by yourself. We're saying that because of Jesus, we ought to have the power to act this way. And if we can't do it now, we ought to be increasing in those manners. So speak truthfully. Number two, don't get angry. Don't get angry or control your anger. Don't get so angry that it causes you to sin, that it causes you to lie, to curse, to justify. Don't let anger be an entry point for the devil, for negative spiritual energies to be coming into you. Instead, find a way to mitigate what makes you angry. Don't let a day go by, don't let a season go by without having a conversation about, hey, why did that make me so angry? Man, when she said that at dinner tonight, it sent me through the roof. I wonder what's going on inside of me that that made me so angry. Or man, he at that meeting when he called me out, I got so mad. I wonder what's going on inside of me that's letting anger control me. And instead, how can I, in Jesus, with a renewed mind, control my anger to come against those things that so often seem to go crazy in our lives? All right, don't steal. Seems obvious, right? Don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. It also seems like it was more practical when I was stealing candy bars in middle school. Um, I don't need to steal much now. I can kind of just buy what I need, right? I'm not doing grand theft auto here, right? Like there's just not, what's the practical application for this? Okay, let's go a little bit deeper then. How about stealing credit? Are you stealing credit for somebody else's work? Are you giving your team the proper accolades for the work that they do? Are you stealing intimacy away from your spouse and in your relationships through habits that you do creating negative work environments, negative relationships with people at work, with people through a computer screen, whatever it is? Are you stealing relational clout from people around you by not being honest with what's going on in your life and in your world? Or perhaps this one's a little too close to home. Are you stealing from God? God says that, hey, the first 10% of everything that you have is given back to me. He says not to give that back is robbery in Malachi. How are you doing with stealing from God? So often we want to be blessed financially. We want God to bless, to give us a raise, to do all those things. And then when it happens, we don't give God the honor that he's due. Sometimes we're robbing God by not trusting him with our finances. Don't steal in whatever category, whatever option that you have. 
Next, this one's my favorite. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. I'm just going to reread this verse because I don't like the way that it's phrased and I need to hear it again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Right? So we're not just talking about like cursing, right? We're not just saying like don't cuss. Don't let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit all who listen. I'm going to spend the next couple days being real quiet. You know what I mean? Only, nothing unwholesome, only what's useful for building each other's up, only what's useful to edify not only the person that you're speaking to, but everyone else around you, right? So when you're having those meetings about so-and-so, don't have any conversations with anyone who isn't present. No matter what, even if you think you're crazy, even if you're not, man, let's bring them into this meeting, let's have that conversation. I don't want to talk about them while they're not here. Nothing unwholesome, right? Meaning only wholesome words, Hard to have an argument with only wholesome words. Have you ever tried it? It's not fun, right? Only uplifting each other when you're fighting is not easy. So how do we go through this process where you go, man, I want what's best for you, I want what's best for me, and I want to uplift you in the midst of this process, but I'm so angry at that disrespectful thing that you said, and I've got to find a way to sort out through that. For me, this is where sarcasm comes in. Sarcasm is such a huge part of our culture, and I get it, it's fun, da 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 but there's a kernel of truth in every sarcastic cut that perhaps we just don't have the ability to speak truthfully and honestly to each other, and so instead we make it a joke, and then it's all okay. Is that wholesome? Is that building each other's up? Is that benefiting others around you? Or do, do we create conversation patterns where we emphasize that we can't really be honest with each other, so we just say backbiting, backsliding comments. Only speak what is wholesome for building each other's up, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, watch your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit is the next one. Uh, we could go so far into the theological woods for this one that uh, we could spend the entire day on it. Here's what I want to say. Um, you know, parents, how sometimes your kids get you so exasperated that you never verbalize, but you think, why did I do this? Anybody? Okay, don't do that to the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't make the Holy Spirit go, why did I adopt you into sonship again? Why are you doing this? Don't make the Holy Spirit so exasperated with you because you're not listening and you're not doing the things that you ought to do that he just goes, I don't know what to do with him. Right? I just can't deal with that child. Uh, don't do that. Right? You know what it's like in your own household. Don't do that to the Holy Spirit. The next is uh, just a list of six vices. You can read them all for yourself and whichever ones stick out to you are probably the ones that you need to work through. But I want to talk about this last one. Verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave, just as in Christ God forgave you. More than anything else, we as forgiven people should be able to model forgiveness in relationships around us. And yet most Christians are viewed as bigots. We're viewed not for, love, for not loving people more than for loving people. And we have relationships that are constantly destroyed through our lack of forgiveness. We've allowed ourselves to make stances on issues instead of on people, which is what Jesus did. Every single relationship failure hinges on this truth. Can you forgive that individual in the same way that Christ forgave you? That person at work, yeah, but they're always doing the same thing. They're always sloughing their workload. They're never following through. I'm always left holding the bag. Can you forgive them? Can you forgive them just as God forgave you? 
Can you forgive your spouse for that argument, for that thing that happens again? Can you forgive those friends, those neighbors who keep parking in the wrong spot? Can you find yourself within you the way to forgive in the same way and with the same capacity that Jesus forgives you? Chapter 5 kind of wraps up this thought. And so here's what it says in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Follow God's example is also another translation, be imitators of God. There's some really strong language, right, that with the new self that we put on is to be clothed with righteousness and holiness, just like God. And here it says, hey, be imitators of God. Do what you think God would do. Remember the WWE? WJD bracelets, right, from forever ago when you were in high school, what would Jesus do? Really, really, like, kind of silly at the time, but also incredibly profound. What would Jesus do if he were you in your work situation right now? What would Jesus do with that coworker? What would Jesus do with that family member? What would Jesus do with your kids, with your spouse, with the teachers, with that neighbor? How would Jesus act if he were you? And then can you act in that way? Yeah, but it's not natural for me. Yeah, but I don't have that, right? I'm not Jesus. I couldn't possibly do that. No, the scripture says that you have the Holy Spirit, which is better than being Jesus, living inside of you, equipping you to do all of these things. But to get there, you have to put off your old self. You have to put off that old way of thinking. You have to stop the list of these patterns that contribute to death through their deceitful desires. You have to cleanse your mind, start thinking about godly things, and then put on the new self, which is characterized by holiness and righteousness and speaking truth and love and all of these types of things. In you, God is bringing about a righteousness and a holiness through his word and his work. So as we conclude today, I just want to give you a couple questions to take with you. Maybe each of these areas, a way to process this in your own life. The first one, I wrote them all down there for you. You can maybe write them down, maybe just use them for lunch conversations, or if you're in a life group, we'll be talking about these as well throughout the week. So what old self-habits and patterns need to be taken care of? What things are still hanging on from your former way of life? Again, if you haven't refreshed that list in the 20 years since you've been following Jesus, uh, then there's more there, right? God has us continually bringing things under his lordship. Where are the thoughts and habits and patterns of the old self at in your life? Second, how will you be cleansed? Where do you need your mind renewed? And how does that happen for you? Is it reading scripture? Is it prayer? Is it in a life group? Is it having a loving conversation? Where do you find your mind renewed so that you can think about godly things instead of those old patterns? Lastly, of course, what new attitudes do you need to put on? What attributes of the new self do you find lacking? And as we go through that list, maybe the Holy Spirit's just highlighting one for you. And you're like, I gotta work on that. I've tried working on that before, but I just keep going back into old patterns. The new can't seem to take root. This is a a pattern that gets repeated throughout our Christian walk. And if it's not being repeated, then chances are you're not growing in Christ. So what are the attributes that need to be put off, that you need to stop doing? What are the ways in which you need to put God in front of your face through devotionals, through Bible reading, through worship, through church, through small groups, whatever it is? And then what are the new actions that need to take root in your life? 
And this is the battle that we wage as we go throughout going, man, I want these new habits so bad in my life, but still I'm clinging to these. And we go to small groups, then we go to conversation. We say, hey, I need help doing this because I keep finding myself stuck in old patterns and I want new life in Jesus. Don't just let these be nice questions that are up on the screen. Don't just let them be questions that exist in the bullets. And I want to encourage you to actually answer them for yourself. I want to dare you to actually have a conversation with a close friend or a spouse or in a small group to be able to answer, these are the areas where I think God is trying to grow me or these are the areas where I've resisted growth and I need it to change. I'm going to encourage you just to bow your heads with me. Maybe the Holy Spirit put something on you as we were speaking today. Maybe there's a highlighted, circled thing in your bulletin. I just want to give you a moment to tune me out and to talk to Jesus. Maybe it's to ask him for help in, in putting off an old pattern and letting something go to rest that is an old way of life and not new. Maybe you're just needing that renewal of your mind and going, man, I've got to get more truth into my life. Holy Spirit, Jesus, could you help me put more of your truth into my daily habits, into my daily routines, so that I can continually be washed in your word and washed in your presence and then not, not put on old patterns, God, but to instead put on new thought processes. As we go through that list, maybe there's something that you just want the Holy Spirit to help you with. God, I need to watch my mouth. Will you help me do that? Holy Spirit, I need to live more truthfully in all my significant relationships. Can you help me with that? God, I need to learn to forgive more because I know I've been forgiven a lot, but I hold back forgiveness when people wrong me. And God, I'm convicted that I need to do that better. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would even now begin cleansing us. And as we go throughout this week and as we have time and opportunity for conversations, God, would you enable us to put off old thought patterns, old ways of life? Would you cleanse us through your word and your spirit? And would you enable and equip us to live new life, that we would have new growth, new territory being conquered in our hearts and in our minds and in our relationships because of our relationship with you? Heavenly Father, we want to continually be made new in your thoughts and in our, in our thoughts and in your presence, and we can only do that through you. And so, God, we ask you to come into our lives, Jesus. We ask you to forgive us so that we can forgive others, and we ask for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to go with us and to carry on through us every day of our life. All God's people agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.